Christ is risen. Alleluia. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today's message is taken from our gospel reading from John chapter 20 with an emphasis on these words. Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Let us also go that we may die with him. These words rang through the disciples like lightning. They had just heard the tragic news that their friend Lazarus was terminally ill. But along with this news came the whispers and the rumors that soon and very soon the scribes and Pharisees would make the move to have their rabbi killed. Yet he, somehow undeterred, made known his plan to return to Judea to the stronghold of his persecutors. Consider for a moment how this must have terrified Jesus' disciples. For they had come to believe that which Simon Peter confessed, that this Jesus was, in fact, the Holy One of God. But now, well now, he seemed to want to throw it all away, marching headlong into disaster and he sure was speaking in disturbing detail lately regarding his own death. Someone among the twelve had to talk sense into him. After all, who better than his own counsel? The twelve friends who followed him, who ministered in his name to the Decapolis and to the regions surrounding Judea. Their voices called out one after another to Bethany. Oh, no way! Teacher, don't speak such foolishness. You're going to be killed if you do that. But then, a lone, dissenting voice called out among them, Let us also go, that we may die with him. That voice, as you might have guessed, belongs to St. Thomas the apostle who alone in that moment had the courage to follow his Lord even into death itself. And friends, I tell you today that beyond these words of Thomas, the Holy Scriptures really don't give us all that much more on this particular apostle. Today's gospel notwithstanding, of course. There is, however, a great deal of apocryphal and speculative sources surrounding him. The Bible does say that he bore the name Didymus in the Greek, which means twin. But it neglects to inform us who exactly Thomas was the twin of. This has led to certain modern historical critics of the Holy Scriptures to jump to a rather alarming conclusion. They like to say that Thomas was the twin of none other than Jesus himself. I have to give them credit for defaulting on the Sunday school answer, but here it's probably not the best use of that technique. 
We can, of course, pretty quickly dismiss this claim as it flies in the face of all the nativity accounts which were recorded in Matthew, Luke, and John. And, of course, the scriptures make no mention of this anywhere else. However, if you will permit me to speculate just a little this morning, I can't help but wonder if this moniker was attached to Thomas by the gospel writers in order to emphasize a very important point. For in the Aramaic language, you see, the name Thomas is derived from the word teoma, literally meaning a twin. Thus, in our gospel translation of John today, the phrase is translated literally from the Greek as Thomas, the one of the twelve called Didymus. This phrase would, in this context, be kind of a redundancy, simply giving two different translations of the same name. My speculation, however, is that the Aramaic version of his name translated into the Greek Didymus is included in this text to tell us something important about Thomas's character. What if, and I want you to bear with me right now because the Bible doesn't concretely tell us this, but what if the title, the twin, is not strictly saying that Thomas had a twin sibling, much in the same manner that not everyone who is named Shoemaker is in fact a maker of shoes. What if Thomas was so alike to his rabbi Jesus in faithfulness, in courage, and in zeal that a passerby could easily be forgiven for mistaking them for siblings? This, I hypothesize, would certainly explain much about Thomas's boldness to follow Jesus into death in John chapter 11, as well as his denial of the resurrection in John chapter 20. You know, so often we in the modern church mistakenly teach the story of doubting Thomas to our little ones as a mere moral object lesson about the importance of keeping the faith. Do better than poor old Thomas, we like to say, or, God forbid, generations of people will attach an unfortunate nickname to you thousands of years after your death. I don't think it's really the best takeaway from this story. So let me present to you an alternative today. The story of Thomas, called Didymus, is not a story about a man of weak faith who we should all strive to be better than. Rather, Thomas's story shows us that even the very best, the boldest, and the brightest among us can and do fall into a despair of sin, and we all desperately need our Savior to redeem us. Thomas's faith was strong enough that he could be mistaken for Jesus himself. He was so bold that he would have gladly died confessing his Lord and Christ. And indeed, he would later go on to do just that along with the other disciples. But friends, what Thomas was not prepared for was seeing his Lord arrested, beaten, and killed while he and the rest of the disciples, save one, hid in shame. 
In short, Thomas's faith, though genuine, was hinged more in that moment on what he could do for Jesus than on what Jesus could do for him. With this in mind, then, imagine the sadness, the shame, and the guilt which Thomas must have been piling on to himself. Consider the way in which his entire worldview must have changed when the man that he would have gladly bled and died for instead bled and died for him. Thomas found himself in the days following Good Friday in a very deep and dark place. And a dead Messiah would not be enough to redeem him. And so... A week later, when the other ten remaining disciples approached him saying that they had seen the risen Lord, he assumed that they were delusional. Perhaps they'd been drinking too much wine together as a way to cope, or perhaps their grief had given way into some kind of a mass hysteria. Sure, the Lord they thought they had seen was merely a specter or a memory of that dead Messiah whom he had failed. And so Thomas spoke those words, which we all remember him for. He said, Unless I see in his hand the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will not believe. No, 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 said Thomas. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I will not believe in a dead Messiah. But friends, I ask you, how often have you and I been in this exact same place, in a deep, dark place, needing someone desperately to pull us out? Well, even if we deny that about ourselves, as we are often wont to do, the scriptures know better, and they give us the definitive answer. They say, for all have sinned. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. That is, each and every one of us, without exception, we have all been like Thomas. We have all, by our words or deeds, denied Christ Jesus. And friends, just as it was for Thomas, so it is for us. A dead Messiah cannot redeem us. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that Thomas's once bold faith was not in vain, and that his Messiah was not dead in the grave, but alive, just as the other ten had said. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And one week later, as he appeared again to the eleven, He saw plainly in his despairing disciple the anguish and the torment which is so often invisible to us. He did not see a man who needed to be mocked and humiliated, nor did he attach a cruel nickname to him for his sin of doubt. Rather, Jesus saw a poor lost sheep in need of a shepherd. He saw a child of God crushed by the weight of his sin and so he moved immediately to rescue him. Thomas, he said, put your finger here and see my hands. 
Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, did not deny Thomas, but he gave him the physical token which he needed to believe. For he had already redeemed his disciple on Calvary's cross, and now he redeemed him from his doubt by the comfort of his presence. And having been so redeemed, Thomas cried out the words which are echoed each and every day in the confession of Christians around the world, My Lord and my God. May each of us, lost in a darkness of sin, cry these same words, for they are the very name by which we are saved. May we be like the Apostle Thomas, not only in boldness, courage, and zeal, but also in clinging to our Lord Jesus, risen and ascended. For St. Luke reminds us that there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Thus, let us not look for redemption among so many of the dead messiahs which our world promises. Those teachers and products and materials which have no power to save but lead us only into doubt and despair. Take heart, dear brothers and sisters, for your Messiah is not dead, but he is living, and he has redeemed you by his holy, innocent suffering and death. And now by his resurrection, he comes to you with a physical sign, just as he did for St. Thomas, his very means of grace. Hear my word and its lavish forgiveness. Receive my name in the baptismal waters. Eat and drink fully of my body and my blood given and shed for you. Do not disbelieve, but believe. For blessed are you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, who have not yet seen as the eleven did, and yet believe. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in the same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Together, 